0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 6 of Fear Frequency. I am your host, Jimmy Champagne, and with me today is my co-host, George Frizzard. How's it going, dude? Good, what's up? Not a lot. So we're coming to you this week a day late because, if if any of the listeners don't know, I am the post-production supervisor for Austin Evans. He's like a huge tech YouTuber. And the new iPhone came out, so we rented a house in uh, Capistrano Beach, you know a little bit further south in California and shot our massive iPhone video so I was gone all weekend and I just got back today
1: nice how was that
0: it was pretty cool uh, the house was the house needed work but like it's hard to complain about a beach house and the new iPhones great it was it was just like it was a long trip but we got some good food we use we rented uh, cinema anamorphic lenses so this video will look like a movie pretty cool <laughs> nice um, so yeah, that, that's why we're a day late, but we have a huge, huge, huge show this week. So uh, we, we have some, some great news, we have a movie review, and then we also have an interview with Joe Lynch, the director of Mayhem, which if you remember from a couple episodes back is my favorite movie of the year, George really liked it. Uh, mayhem comes out this week november 10th you can download it i think it'll be in limited theaters you should download it you should watch it you should give it all of your money because it's awesome and we got lucky enough to sit down with joe for about 20 minutes and just hear all about how this movie was made so that'll be at the end of the show but we have a lot more stuff uh to talk about before that
1: oh yeah it's a packed episode for sure
0: yeah so uh we'll kick right off segment one with our first news story here And that's that CBS is developing a Twilight Zone reboot for their all-access streaming service. Now, if you don't know, CBS has been trying out the streaming service. They launched the new Star Trek show on there, which I've seen has mixed reviews. Uh, But yeah, they want to reboot Twilight Zone, which, I don't know, could be cool, I guess.
1: I guess it just depends on, you know, how much effort they put into it. Because I think the first one is so highly regarded because... The stories were all not all, obviously, but most of them were pretty interesting. So I guess it's just the writing quality and the production values are really what what the show's gonna live or die by, I think.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's on a streaming service, so it'll probably get a little bit more money and it looks like it's gonna be under Jordan Peel's monkey paw banner, which like, you know, get out looked really good for a five million dollar movie, and he's funny, so I feel like I feel like that's a good fit for a, you know, a new Twilight Zone show.
1: Yeah, I think that that is definitely uh, a good match, and I, I mean, I do hope that the show does well. I've, I'm a big fan of the original series, and I'm, I'm excited to always get more Twilight Zone, so if it's done with the right amount of care and effort, then i don't see how it could be that bad
0: yeah it's one of those things where i'm like if it does well that's awesome and if it doesn't do well then we'll just forget about it immediately you know like no one's no one's going to be like extremely devastated if the streaming service version of the twilight zone doesn't do that well you know like it's going (laughs) to have a very low attach rate right at the beginning
1: right you know i think there's going to be some hardcore fans that kind of shit on it right from the start because it's not the original but, yeah, just
0: like Star Trek.
1: Right, exactly. So we'll, we'll just have to see see how it goes.
0: Awesome. So uh, next up on the list is a much, much, much more exciting news story, and that's that the the Starry Eyes directors are uh, directing a remake of Pet Cemetery, the Stephen King novel. Now, I really like the original Pet Cemetery. I watched it a lot on AMC Fear Fest as a kid, and it scared the shit out of me because of the sisters Zelda. But then I watched it last year. It doesn't hold up very well. It's about thirty or forty minutes too long. But it's, it's still a pretty good movie. But, uh, you know, the director of It, uh, Andy Muschietti, was going to direct this. He really wanted to. But I'm kind of glad they're, they're giving this to another another director. Well, directors. It's Dennis Widmeyer and Kevin Kolsch who wrote and directed Starry Eyes, which we both really liked.
1: Yeah. I I thought Starry, Starry Eyes was uh, really good. It was kind of an interesting story, really unique. And, I mean, I thought that movie was great. And I think that, you know, the people who are... If they're directing Pet Cemetery, I don't, you know, I, I have full faith that they'll do a, a good re- recreation of it.
0: Yeah, I feel like, you know, like any machete would be a good choice. But, you know, the cool thing about the Stephen King stuff is it's really hard to get burned down on it, burned out on it. Because even though all the stories are connected, they're all very different.
1: Yeah, it seems like, you know, each story, I mean, obviously there's an overarching Stephen King universe where all the stories connect. But each one really can be looked at individually and can be enjoyed that way and i i do i think the first one is okay i think it's a little overrated but like you said i think zelda is like definitely the scariest part of the original so yeah
0: i still have nightmares about that
1: (laughs) yeah that was just pretty horrifying imagery and I think that these do that this duo could definitely do some really creepy stuff with that after seeing what they did in Star Eyes.
0: Definitely. I mean, Star Eyes is just a great movie all around. I feel like it fits that perfect like middle ground between head spacey, it follows type horror and you know like actual gory, scary, like actiony horror. It's like right in the middle and it has a little bit of everything for everyone, but it does have a pretty interesting plot. It's about a girl who You know, she's trying to make it in L.A., and she lives with a a bunch of girls who are also trying to make it out here as actresses, and she sells her soul to the devil, which owns... The devil owns, like, a movie production company called Astraus Pictures, and uh, it it gets pretty crazy pretty quick. It's it's, it's awesome.
1: Yeah, we didn't know it was a documentary until this year when the whole Harvey Weinstein thing came out, but...
0: Yeah, you know what? It's a pretty (laughs) good metaphor for Harvey Weinstein, and I guess Kevin Spacey,
1: so... Yeah, so... (laughs) you know that's
0: that's bad (laughs) objectively uh so that. moving on uh we have a good good news here that horror the horror movie the business has made 1.1 billion in revenue at the domestic box office so that's not that's just like theatrical horror movies this year have made 1.1 billion dollars says the new york times that's pretty cool that's that's a lot of money
1: yeah, I, I think this year was a particularly good year for horror. It was obviously the biggest horror movie of the year, theatrically. I, I think that had a, a big part of, you know, pushing this the, this figure up to a billion this year. But it is cool to see that this genre got such a infusion of cash this year over previous years. Like, this was definitely... I've heard more people talk about horror, and there's a more interesting horror movies coming out now than than has been in like the last few years definitely definitely for sure and
0: you know we had it we had split we had uh get out there's just an annabelle creation i feel like there it was like you know the nintendo switch has a new big game every month i feel like we've had a new big horror movie to look forward to every month and for the most part they all turned out pretty good like even jigsaw which I'd say is in the you know the the worst half of the list still turned out okay for what it was.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's like true to the series, which at this point like the last two or three movies were all kind of that style of like over the top ridiculous. But, right. I mean, I think that made a ton of money, and it was on pretty much a shoestring budget, and I think people are just really into the genre right now, and we've actually been rewarded for going to the movies with pretty good horror movies this year.
0: Yeah, seriously, and Happy Death Day made $48 million. Somehow, 47 Meters Down made $44 million, which is hilarious, because <laughs> you could watch that movie on YouTube for free for over a year, um, but people didn't know that, so then they went and saw it in theaters. I really like Split a lot. I thought that was great. Happy Death Day also, I think I mentioned, I thought was amazing. Get Out, uh, I don't want to say vastly overrated, but I feel like pretty overrated in terms of a horror movie. Uh, I, I I liked it. I don't think it was amazing, but um, that was pretty good. Split was just cool because you know M. Night Shyamalan's on his winning streak, so that's nice to see.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen uh, Split yet, so I have to check that out. But Yeah, gotta see that. Yeah, uh, I, I forgot that Get Out even came out this year. I thought that was like late last year, so...
0: I think it was like January. Yeah. It was like really early in the year.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And that one definitely had a ton of buzz around it. There's no question that that made a ton of money. So Yeah, it
0: came out at a good time.
1: Yeah. So between that and it, those are probably the two biggest heavy hitters this year for that, that $1 billion mark.
0: Totally. And then um, our next one involves Jason, and so I think you should handle this one.
1: All right, so... <laughs> The Jason Goes to Hell director says that Jason, canonically, is a deadite from Evil Dead.
0: This is like a double-edged sword situation, totally, because that's really cool on its own, but then it's like, it's tied to Jason Goes to Hell, which is a really shitty movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it sucks that that's like one of the definite low points of the whole series, and that it's, like, the director connects that one with Evil Dead, which is, like, connecting those two universes is definitely cool. And
0: and it makes sense. It, yeah. It totally adds up. It's sweet.
1: Right. Like, there's no reason that these, like, the logic adds up. You're like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess he could be. But it just sucks that the one way we can connect those two dots is through one of the worst movies in the series.
0: <laughs> yeah, so director Adam Marcus, he talked to Horror Geek Life, which I've never heard of them. Uh, he said, "I wanted to create a mythology for Jason in this movie because it had driven me nuts as a viewer." He explains, uh, "She, as in Pamela Voorhees, she makes a deal with the devil by reading from the Necronomicon to bring her back her son, and this is why Jason isn't Jason. He's Jason plus the evil dad. That make that that's like that totally adds up. I mean, you could even tie that into Pet Cemetery if you really wanted to." Uh, what they ended up doing was they hid uh, Necronomicon in Jason Goes to Hell. It's it's in plain sight. It's not really hidden. They just can't, you know, it's different movie companies, so they can't directly say, like, oh, shit, it's the Necronomicon. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's, it's cool.
1: It, that's kind of a fun way to turn what was originally probably just an Easter egg into, like, you know, kind of a connection between two cinematic universes.
0: Yeah, and you know what's funny is, like, you uh, when Halloween does really well next year, you know, Friday the 13th is not far behind in getting a total reboot that ignores everything after, like, the third movie, I would say, for Jason. So this this will definitely get axed mark my words like someone who's listening write this down and this will not be canon within the next i want to say four years definitely there's no way
1: i think you're probably right in saying that
0: <laughs> yeah so this, this is a cool little easter egg i would say it's like kind of interesting i guess uh so the next one speaking of bad news is uh that the weinstein company has removed the horror thriller movie polaroid From its November 22nd release date. Which has already changed. Because I'm pretty sure this was originally supposed to come out in December. And the Weinstein Company. My god. Even before this. uh, What's his name? Harvey Weinstein? Yeah. Yeah. Even before all this shit happened. They were just notorious. They moved around Amityville. Uh. the the, you know the the social media one that just came out for free they moved that shit around they just they're so weak with their horror movies so it might be good that this got pulled from release
1: yeah i don't think anyone was really highly anticipating polaroid i don't think anyone was really chomping at the bit for it so i'm sure they were just like well just forget about it now maybe probably release it as like a vod later this year or like early next year yeah. Because I assume it's, like, so expensive to put movies through, like, the whole theatrical circuit that they're probably just, like, forget about it. This thing's not going to make yeah. any money anyway.
0: But the, fun, the the big news story in this news story is that when Hamityville The Awakening was released in theaters uh, October 28th, which, again, you're going to remove a movie from theaters multiple times to release it the day after Stranger Things 2, <laughs> like... I don't even need to get started on that. This movie made seven hundred and forty-two dollars in theaters.
1: That, like, that's unbelievably what? low.
0: I saw people tweeting too, like, "Oh, this is just a bummer for the genre." It's like, is it really? I'm not. I'm not on that. You know, I'm not on that wavelength of people who are like. Go see every horror movie, even if it's bad, because, like, if if you don't, the genre won't make enough money, and then we won't get more movies. That That's not how it works. You, you should go see good horror movies, and then the studios will realize that they can't just put out shit for people to go see. You know, I think people are realizing that, too, but people are like, man, we should have banded together to go see Amityville The Awakening. It's like... <laughs> No, it's been fucking free for three weeks. Why the hell would anyone pay money to go see it in theaters when it's a shitty movie made by a shitty company?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, with all the buzz around that movie before it came out, even when it was free, being pretty negative, I don't see why people should have been rushing to the theaters to go see this thing. But (laughs) even with that being a factor, I mean, like, just over $700 for a theatrical release of a movie, that's laughable. That's unbelievably low.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just unreal, dude. Like... I bet there's direct-to-DVD movies that make more money than that. You know what sucks about it? Is that this movie's getting more press than great stuff, like Dead Shack. You know, like all these great indie horror movies we talk about. They get, like, maybe a news post that they're coming out. And, you know, everyone's got to jump on this train to shit on uh, Amityville, The Awakening. (laughs) Just because of the Weinstein business. So, it's just a mess, top to bottom. But, uh, the next story's good, and it's that, so Warner Brothers wants, has submitted to have it nominated for Oscars, which I didn't, like, this is a big deal, I guess. I don't know why more horror movies aren't, I guess, submitted, because there have been really good ones. Like, I think The Conjuring 2 should have won, like, it could, like, you know, Vera Farmiga could have easily won a Best Actress. Yeah. For that. Or, you know, Patrick Wilson could have won a Best Actor. Like, easily.
1: Yeah, it it is kind of strange that, you know, more horror movies aren't, like, I I can't even remember the last time a horror movie was in, like, in the running for an Oscar. I know Silence of the Lambs, I think, won Best Picture or something the year that came out, but that's the last thing I can think of. And I, I think with all the buzz around It this year, I think that it'll definitely be nominated for something, probably at least, like, costume design or... You know, sound. Yeah, makeup. Yeah, makeup, sound design, this something that like that. That
0: Botet stuff. Right. Uh, I guess music. They they have oh they have in this article everything they want it nominated for. So best picture probably won't make it there. No. Uh, best director also again probably won't make it there. Best adapted screenplay could definitely make yeah, it there. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, definitely. Like, no question. That's easy enough. Uh, best supporting actress for Sophia Lewis or Lilith. Who did she play Bev yeah okay
1: probably she, won't win no but she was good
0: yeah she was great um best cinematography uh I think that that has a serious shot there like that's that movie is blocked really well yeah best production design lots of practical effects it got knocked for cgi a lot which I think was well deserved but I think there were some really good effects besides the cgi I
1: I, I, I thought some of the cgi didn't look great and kind of took me out of the movie at some points, but
0: I, th- I think it was just inconsistent. Yeah, like, some of it was great and some of it was not, so it made the not great stuff look worse.
1: Right. So there was definitely points where you would see like some effect and just kind of be like, uh, okay, like I, I don't know if this really works like at this moment when it did like a little while ago. So I don't know. I, I it probably won't win for that.
0: That movie's not out on DVD yet, is it?
1: No, no, definitely okay, not. Okay,
0: so I totally heard a radio ad on Halloween that was like, go see It for Halloween. And I was like, where? Like, bitch, where? Like, where am I supposed to go see this movie? It's definitely not in theaters anymore. It came out in September, and it's not a DVD. Like, what the fuck do you want me to do?
1: No, I, de- I remember that campaign going around, and I think they did, like, another big push for that movie <laughs> oh, around Halloween. Put it back in theaters? Yeah. Like, I saw promoted <laughs> tweets for it and stuff. Like, Oh, go, I didn't. <laughs> like, go with your friends to go see it in theaters halloween so i think they were like pushing it out again for a second wave around around halloween
0: (laughs) what a tone-deaf push like that is not a halloween movie by any stretch of the imagination that's a summer horror movie like that fits right in there with friday the 13th as summer horror
1: yeah i think that you know they just thought that it was a horror movie so naturally gotta milk it
0: for all it's worth (laughs) right
1: it's gonna work on halloween so i guess so uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) next up is best film editing i mean any movie could win for this i think like you only notice editing when it's bad and i feel like it's very rare that that happens i feel like i've noticed it a lot this year but i don't like I i don't think i noticed it in a landslide amount uh best costume design could definitely win. For
1: yeah, that. I, I think for I think Scarsgard who win for like oh, yeah. the care, like all the Pennywise, like makeup and everything.
0: Yeah, slap all those idiots in the face who are like, he's not, he's not scary. <laughs> it's, it looks like a clown. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's a fucking clown. Uh, best visual effects, easily could win that.
1: Yeah, there are some really good visual effects in that. Like I think that the like the Georgie scene when he's oh, yeah. puts his arm in the sewer. I think that that is a great... Spoilers! <laughs> I mean, the book's like 40 <laughs> years old. Yeah, who cares? And... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I saw like people on YouTube, like if you go look at any it thing, it's like someone please rip this and post it to YouTube. Like, everyone <laughs> wants to see that one scene for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and then we have best sound editing slash mixing, which like sure. Yeah, and
1: why not? <laughs> Throw it in there. Best
0: best makeup and hairstyling? Pennywise, dude. Yeah. That's some good makeup and hairstyling. Best original score? I don't think it stands a chance there.
1: No, I think that there's probably some, like, a few, you know, original movies that are coming out this year that are, like, Oscar bait that'll probably win that.
0: <laughs> Too bad there's not a best Stephen King adaptation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, Give I it, it like, two win. years with all these Stephen King adaptations coming out. That'll be a new category at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So then we have another It news that I'm like I'm adding adding in right now, because I just saw it on the website uh, that I was reading from. Jessica Chastain wants to play Beverly in It Chapter 2. Uh, people were like, you know, there's a campaign for this to happen. Right alongside the campaign to replace Kevin Spacey with Kevin James in House <laughs> of Cards. But I think this one's more important. Uh, Jessica Chastain, who I think would be a really good Beverly, just saying. She's like, well, I love Andy and Barbara. She told this screen rant. She worked with them on Andy's directorial debut, which was Mama, which is a really shitty movie, his first film. And you know, Barbara is one of my best friends, so listen, of course I want to work, they're my friends, they're like my family. Anything they're doing, I want to be a part of it, so I hope we can make it happen. I think Barbara is Andy's wife. She, like, produced the movie, I'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure, and Muschietti loves the idea, obviously, because he put her in his first bad movie, Right. so now he can put her in his
1: third good movie uh i i think that the the casting works i'm not a huge jessica chastain fan but oh i love her she's great i mean i it does make sense i mean i i could definitely see her as the character i'm just not a big fan of her personally
0: i feel like she could kick my ass and i think that's why i like her
1: she definitely could kick my ass no question
0: she just looks like tough
1: yeah and that that's definitely a good look for the character especially as an adult
0: okay so before we end segment two we're back with another creature feature and this week it's a night of the witch which is a new short film from xena s dixon the real queen of horror as she calls herself she was kind enough to send this uh, about five minute short film over it's it's pretty cool it's it's like this guy he dreams every night that a witch is chasing him i won't spoil it but it gets pretty crazy that's out november 10th i'm pretty sure it's going to be free because it's like a five minute thing so if you want to check that out go follow her on twitter at i think xena real queen of horror yeah
1: i uh, definitely check this out i thought it was really creepy and you know looked it looked really good it was well done and i think everyone should check this out
0: yeah so and then if you if you didn't listen last week creature feature is our new segment where we highlight someone doing something cool in the horror community So we're back from our quick break with segment two, and this week we're going to be talking about Bad Match, which is written and directed by David Churchurillo. And if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, he wrote uh, Cheap Thrills, which is a great movie starring Pat Healy. It's about a guy who gets paid to do progressively more disgusting and horrific things, and he's competing with Ethan Embry, and they get money every time they do it. It's, pre- it's pretty cool. But Bad Match is about a guy named Harris who he uses tinder he's here in la he's hitting up chicks every night of the week and then he swipes right on riley and she's a little bit clingy and things just take a majorly dark turn from there and uh, i like this movie a lot what do you think of it
1: yeah i thought it was actually really good um the plot when you start it seems kind of simple and kind of played out i guess something you know that you've seen before but mm. I, I think the way they integrate the like the fake Tinder is interesting because it's a lot like the normal, like the real life Tinder. It's just Tinder. Yeah, I mean, it is just Tinder. But it's Tinder. called
0: like Mattress. Lane. It, it looks terrible in the movie. Like I thought, it was just like the graphic <laughs> design of it was pretty bad.
1: Yeah, it doesn't look good, but the way that it functions and the way that the people talk about it within the movie is just exactly the same as Tinder, and that that works. I mean, obviously, because they're just pulling something that exists in real life and just naming it something else.
0: Yeah. So this movie, it looks a little cheap. Like you know, it's it's not gonna blow anyone away for best cinematography or like anything like that. But it's totally saved by its writing and its acting. The writing is just so good. The way they talk about, you know, tactics on Tinder and the way that uh, Harris is using Tinder and the way that people respond to him, that is just straight out of reality and not in a cringy way. Like, it's relatable and funny, and it's not even just, like, it's not making fun of it. It's just telling it how it is, and it works totally.
1: Yeah, I think the writing here is really strong, really true to life. I mean, there's even a character in the movie that is, uh, like, Harris's arch enemy on over at Xbox, who's, like, this kid he talks to when he's playing Gears of War with him, and he's, like... Yeah, even
0: that was just perfect. <laughs>
1: right, like, he's trash-talking the kid, and the kid's, like, trash-talking him, and that all sounds... Like, I've definitely met people on Xbox Live that talk just like that kid.
0: Yeah, and it's, like, a kid where you, you think you're cool, and you're you're gonna get some witty joking on him, and then he just goes, oh, yeah, well, I fucked your mom, suck my dick.
1: <laughs> it's like, you can't win? Right, it's, like... <laughs> it's like typical kid that's just like you know had his first little bit of freedom by being able to talk to strangers online
0: (laughs) this is another movie where the the director is trying to get you really hard with a big twist and unlike i think every other movie this year that we've talked about so far that does the big twist thing i did not predict this one and it was not for a stupid reason that like i never would have guessed it was just a really good twist
1: i thought that there was going to be you know something by the mm-hmm. way that the like the third act was playing out i thought there was going to be some kind of twist but i was trying to figure out wh- what part of the story could be like who could it be like kind of a who done it mm-hmm. thing and then once the actual ending was revealed i, was, I that was like my, the last thing on my mind definitely didn't expect that and the ending is dark I'm like, it's so, so dark. So dark.
0: <laughs> it's so dark. Like you'll never guess it. It's unguessable. So like I'm not gonna talk about it. But man, as it unravels, it's just fucking amazing. Like it's so good. It's so well written. It's so well paced. That this movie, it just took me for a ride, man. Like start to finish. You know, like, sometimes when I'm watching movies at home, I pick my phone up, I'm on Twitter, you know, I I did not touch my phone for this entire movie. It never gets boring, it never drops the pace, and I think that's partly because Jack Cutmore Scott, the guy who plays Harris, he just rules. He's just a great actor. He's funny, he's, like, charismatic, he plays the role just super well.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's really likable, he has a cool job, gets with a lot of girls you know he seems like a nice guy for the most part he's got good... it's
0: it's bizarre how how much his like the place he works is just like my old job it's like <laughs> an agency they go, he takes a girl to like one of my favorite bars around here button mash uh, he takes a girl, he takes one of the girls there, and then the restaurant they hang out in throughout most of the movie. I just went there like two weeks ago. So that was just, it was surreal. It was like, felt like watching a documentary.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that everything felt really genuine and. Realistic. Uh, I mean, even even towards the end when things kind of ramp up, I never really lost a sense of realism. I was never watching it and being like, "Oh, this is so like this completely." There's never a point where I was like, "Oh, this totally takes me out of the movie." I thought that the the writing, the pacing, everything was really good, and the ending is something you won't see coming. I think it was just a great movie overall.
0: yeah So, Bad Match is out now. You can rent it on VOD services. I did a quick Google search just to see. You know, if it's in theaters anywhere, because it did, they did the thing where they say it's getting a limited theatrical release, but then you're like, is it, is it really? <laughs> it is. It's, it's in a lot of theaters. Uh, so you can, you should definitely see that in theaters if you can, because I'm sure they'll get more money out of it. But this is one that I think will definitely end up on Netflix, but you should definitely buy it like, or rent it before it goes on Netflix. Like David Churchurillo, this dude deserves your money.
1: Yeah. He made a great movie. If you haven't seen uh, Cheap Thrills, check that out as well. Oh, yeah, and Cheap Thrills. Yeah. So good. I definitely give Bad Match a recommend.
0: Yeah, hard recommend. Like, solid 3.9 slash 4 out of 5 stars for me.
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair rating.
0: Yeah, so uh, before we move on to our third segment, which I am so stoked for, <laughs> uh, I just want to, you know, quickly go over everything coming out this week, because it's another one of those weeks where just a ton of stuff is coming out uh, in terms of horror movies and games. So I'm pulling out my calendar right now. So uh, this Friday... Uh, November 10th, we have I Remember You, which is a movie that we'll talk about next week. It's a foreign language IFC Midnight movie. It's kind of like a dark thriller. It looks pretty cool. Mayhem is out. And then another movie called Thelma is out. We also just got a screener for it. Neither of us have checked it out, but that one's another foreign language dark thriller, but it's getting really good reviews. Um, And then obviously Bad Match is out now. And then if you have a Nintendo Switch, you can play Doom, which is one of the best shooters of the past few years. So uh, I highly recommend it.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to check out Doom on the Switch for sure.
0: Yeah, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with a really special segment three. Alright, so we're back with segment three, and before George takes the floor here, I gotta introduce this one, because it's kind of a weird story how this all came about. I surf Amazon Prime a lot for horror movies, because they just have a generally much better selection than Netflix. Uh, They have some great stuff on the free Prime, and also to rent, which Netflix, obviously, you can't rent movies. But something that I noticed in the horror section that was popping up a lot was these movies called A Haunting in Blank. And I would see them, and then one caught my eye, and it was called A Haunting in Saginaw, Michigan. So, as you know, George is from Michigan. I'm from Michigan, but I'm living in L.A. I was like, I gotta check this out, <laughs> because this looks terrible. <laughs> and I was pleasantly surprised. You know, like they're not great. They're very hit or miss. There's about eight of them. And they're... they're. It's like a much higher budget episode of Ghost Ghost Hunters or Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel. It comes out once a year, and it's from a rapper named prozac who's from michigan oh yeah and the, the weird thing about it as if that's not weird enough is that every one of these movies focuses on a place in saginaw michigan which is not a big place so if you believe like a lot of it's obviously faked but if you believe in the ghost stories saginaw michigan is a gate to hell because there are <laughs> like at least nine of these eight or nine of these movies i want to say and uh some dark shit happens but the, the scariest one by far is is a haunting on dice road and as as fate would have it a haunting on dice road 2 was showing its premiere at the temple theater this past weekend so we sent george out to go check it out so you, you can take the mic now george tell me all about your experience watching a haunting on dice road 2
1: <laughs> well just to start this off uh the only one i'd seen before seeing this was dice road 1 So I think that was the sixth in the series. I'm pretty sure this one that just came out is the seventh one in the haunting series. The haunting cinematic universe. And, uh... (laughs) I thought that that was actually really creepy. I was like it's genuinely scared by that movie. There's a lot of moments where I was like, you know what? I don't need to watch this anymore. This is like way too creepy for me. There was a point where you even, watched
0: it in pieces, right?
1: Yeah, I had to turn it off at one point and come back to it the next day because I was too creeped out by what was going on. <laughs> and uh, I, I really did like that movie. I think that's definitely worth a watch for anybody who has uh, Amazon Prime. One thing that's really unique about these movies is they're basically just a group of, like, ghost hunters, a knockoff, like, of the Ghost Hunters show, but they just do things in Saginaw, Michigan, which is bizarre enough as it is. There's yeah, can you
0: explain what Sag? like, give, give us some background on Saginaw, like, what is it? Like, what kind of town is it? Is it big? Is it a city?
1: So, I, I haven't spent too much time in Saginaw. The only time I'd ever been there really was just for this premiere. And so yeah, this was I've at the downtown there. in the Temple Theater. And, I mean, it reminded me of, like, any, like, halfway decent town. It feels kind of like a Pontiac or, like, uh, it, it's just kind of like there like are people. Oxford. Right. It, it's like there are people there, but you can tell there's not really, like, a ton of activity that goes on. It just kind of, like, exists. It's just kind of, like, basic. Like, if you were to put it on the scale, it would probably be, like, a five or so on just like general activities going on. But for some reason it's just extremely, extremely haunted.
0: Allegedly.
1: Allegedly. This I had no idea this was such an event in Saginaw. So I went the second night. They did two showings, uh like a the first a Friday night showing and a Saturday night showing. As I was pulling up to the like to the theater, I I was like an hour so early for the showing. I think it started at doors open at eight. I think, and I got okay. there like right around eight, and then I think it started at nine, and so I got there like pretty much right when the doors were opening. And there was like a line coming from the theater like down the block. There was like police in the street directing traffic. They what? had the, the <laughs> I'm telling you, they had <laughs> spotlights outside the theater.
0: Oh my god, I love it. I didn't know any of this.
1: I love it. <laughs> But, I mean, the theater itself, the Temple Theater, was packed. I'm telling you. This was the... I went the second night that this movie was showing, and it was packed. I don't think there was... If it wasn't sold out, it was extreme... It was, like, 90% sold out. This thing was full to the gills. Like, before the movie started, Prozac came out with his... Like, a small section of his crew. And he was like, Okay, who's been here for all seven years? People were like, Whoa! it's <laughs> like... Like There are people that have been coming to this every year, annually, for seven years, and have seen these movies in this theater for seven years. He he actually, (laughs) when he came out, he did a thing where he was like, who's in here for seven years? Woo! Six years. Woo! Five years. He counted down to like four that he was like, okay, I can keep going, but you guys understand what's going on.
0: He's, you know, you gotta ease, your, ease yourself into the situation with these Saginaw folk. <laughs> uh, so how, mu- how much did this cost? Like, what was the package you you got with this? Like,
1: so there were two packages. One was the VIP, and that was $75. And okay. that gave you... Kind of a lot. Kind of expensive. That gave you, uh, like like, a select seat, I guess, in the upper balcony. And I think you got drinks and food and the you got to go to the after party Did you didn't go to that right no i just did the i'm the, sure
0: it was wild
1: yeah i just did the basic package which was twenty twenty one dollars or it was twenty one dollars or twenty eight dollars some somewhere between that right. and that got you just a seat in the general admission which is like the lower floor and a copy of the movie on dvd
0: awesome i mean i looked for it on amazon it's not there and then just for everyone's reference, $75 for the VIP package, it's a lot of money when you consider that meeting John Carpenter was $200. Like, meeting John Carpenter, <laughs> the king of horror movies, seeing his concert, and getting like a t-shirt and a signed poster and a cool little tote bag was $200. So, you know, to go to a party, you're paying about half the price to meet John Carpenter, so there's some perspective for you.
1: Yeah, it's... <laughs> I... It seems like there's a little bit of uh, uh, discrepancy on what you're getting for the price you pay between those two things.
0: Dude, he... he God, he must make a killing.
1: Yeah. I'm 20, t-
0: 28 bucks. That's a lot for a movie ticket.
1: Yeah, I, I'm telling you, Prozac definitely is making a killing on these because they are a real event in Saginaw, Michigan.
0: Okay, so how was the movie?
1: It was alright. I, I haven't seen the earlier ones, but... I, I assume that this one was kind of more in the vein of some of the earlier ones where there was definitely some I'll start with the positives. So I thought that the tone was set up really well. I was definitely creeped out through the majority of the movie and they do a good job of like explaining everything talking about the history of the house. Uh, they even brought the guy who they uh, like the guy's house that they used they brought him out on stage and had him like say a a little bit about the movie, like about his house before the movie started, and it that was all cool. The way that they actually do the like investigation is all pretty good. And there was definitely a few times in the movie where something would happen and it would send like a chill down my spine, so it is it's definitely creepy at parts.
0: How does it compare to Dice Road 1? Because I actually got pretty creeped out by that too. Yeah, I, some of the stuff in Dice Road 1 was faked, but there was a lot of stuff in there that felt genuine to me and it scared me.
1: Yeah. And there's definitely a few moments like that in this one, but there's also a lot of times where y- you could you could look at something and be like, "Well, this is obviously like something that you just faked." Uh, I'll give one example. So
0: yeah, go for it. I don't think you have to worry too much about spoilers here.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, this isn't. I mean, I don't know what what the release is spoil in like a a ghost investigation movie. I mean, they look around a house and try to find ghosts. So. <laughs> uh <laughs> there's one part where uh there's a closet in the granddaughter's bedroom and they're like this is like the creepiest part of the house it's got the most activity blah 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 one thing that they do in this movie worse than the first ice road is a lot of the movie is shot like a first person perspective with
0: mm.
1: so it'll be like prozac is walking around with the camera and just a flashlight and you just see, like, his perspective. and That's new. And everything is, like, black. Like, all the lights are out. The room is, like, pitch black. And you just see everything through first-person perspective with a flashlight. Okay. And all right. So there's definitely... That works in some parts. It definitely, like, raises the tension in some moments. And so there's one part where he's going through the granddaughter's bedroom and... She has all these little, like, dolls on her desk, and they're all facing forward, like facing towards the door, like where you walk in, and so he walks into the closet, and he's like, you know, trying to provoke the ghost, he's like, hey, it's me, your boy. He's trying to, like, provoke the ghost, and then he, like, kind of turns around, he comes out of the closet, and then you can hear, like, something going on on the other side of the door, and then he tries to pull on the door, and it's, like, locked now from the inside. Okay, <laughs> and so then he turns around and he's as he's walking out of the room, he realizes that one of the dolls on the desk has been turned around.
0: Oh, I don't like that,
1: but the thing about this is if you were if you wanted to like show that something happened with that doll, you could have used the night vision camera that they set up in the room that they show you earlier in the movie. <laughs> And show that the, that the doll turned around. Because there's a shot earlier in the movie where it's a night vision camera set up in the room looking at the back wall. And you could have caught the like doll being turned around if it was turned around by like an entity or not a human being. And they don't show that. They just show Prozac walking past it and being like, whoa, this is turned around. And then it's like... Then it shows the clip from earlier of him walking by the desk in the first person with a flashlight. It's like you see in this scene, the ghost was the, like the doll's facing this way, but now it's so facing show the, the other rest way. rest of it. It's like, why don't you show the wide shot of the room that would show the doll being turned around instead of just showing? Oh,
0: come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was... Do they do the thing where when they replay stuff that happens do they replay it five times
1: they'll do the thing where they like slow something down or like zoom in there there's definitely a few really creepy moments uh i mean a lot of the stuff like could be faked but if you if you go into the movie kind of buying into it kind of just you know watching it yeah having fun right just watching it to like enjoy the like a an episode of ghost hunters basically then i i think you'll have a good time with it and there is there's definitely some some creepy stuff going on in that house
0: yeah, the, you know, the first Dice Road, for as much fun as we're making of this, that some stuff happens that I don't, don't want to make fun of them, but I think some of the stuff that happens in the first Dice Road to fake it would be astronomically out of their budget yeah. <laughs> that they have for this. So I, I feel like that kind of just, I don't want to say proves it, but some of the stuff was definitely real. Like a guy gets pushed off a second floor and falls on <laughs> camera, like on his back. And there's no way anybody's, like, gonna do that just for shits and giggles. Like, th- he falls about eight feet onto his back.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think <laughs> if, we were to, if I were to compare how haunted Dice Road 1's location was to this one, I would say that the first Dice Road is, like, ten haunted for sure. No one should live there. Stay away from there. I think this place is, like, a, like a four haunted creepy stuff happens. I wouldn't want to stay there myself. The the actual things that they catch on tape are way less scary than they are in the first Dice Road. One of the creepier parts, oh my god, I forgot about this. So there's one part where uh, Prozac, they talk about this, there's two closets basically that are like the problem areas of the house. And one of the guys is in one of the closets and then he's like, you know what, this is like two I feel like too creeped out being in here. I'm not going to be in here anymore. I'm not com- like I'm I'm not going to be in the closet. And then Prozac is like, "Well, it's up to me then I have to be in the closet." And, and d- he- yeah,
0: he says it just like that if you're listening. <laughs> he he is not a good actor at all. It's it's hilarious. There's a part I'm just going to talk about this really quick. Sorry. Yeah. There's a part in Dice Road 1 where he goes in the basement and he sits in the tiniest little stool and he has this tiny, tiny little table next to him with a single candle on it and he starts, like, trying emotionally to talk to the ghost he's like, if you died in here, please leave.
1: I'm glad you brought up the candle because it's something I forgot. It's, for the first, like, 15% of the movie, instead of Prozac using a flashlight, he just carries around a candle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he's a big
0: dude. He's, like, probably, like, six foot... Six foot eight, six foot nine. He's a big... He's a big boy. Yeah. He holds his, He does this in the first one. He carries around this tiny-ass little...
1: Kid. Yeah. So, you see, like, a first-person shot of the candle. Like, it's, like, his arm holding the candle as he walks around the house. And that was just, like, really weird. It was, like, why would he have a candle when we know there's flashlights? But I digress. So... There's one part where so he's like I'm gonna go in the closet. He goes in the closet and then uh, one of the guys like come walks by the room and sees him and he's like Hey, Prozac, what's up? Are you okay? And he's like I don't know what happened in there. Like I had to get out of there. It was too scary. It was blah blah blah. And then he takes off his hat and there's like scratches on the top of his head.
0: What? Is he bald?
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's a bald. Oh, he's a bald guy. So he takes his hat off and there's like this little like scratch in the like on the very top of his head that's like bleeding <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> no way so that's nuts
1: yeah it's there's obviously creepy stuff that happens and it, it's it's well done i think that it's it's fun if you are into the like ghost hunting genre and you want something to check out i think that it definitely fits the bill And, uh, I, I, I mean, it's, I would say if you want to be generally scared, watch the first one. But if you're just looking for something like a little more lighthearted to just like throw on in the background or something, I think this one's a fine choice.
0: I'm, I'm going to watch it as soon as it's on Amazon prime. Like I'm all in on this shit. And if you're the kind of person who's like, uh, you're entertained by the idea of ghost hunters or ghost adventures, but you can only handle it annually. I think this is like, they pack as much into the one episode of this movie series than that you would get in a whole season of ghostbusters or ghost adventures you know like yeah a lot of shit happens so if you can only handle it like once a year this is this is a good way to go and it has higher production values than a tv show for sure
1: yeah uh they definitely are making a lot of money off this series and they try to put it back into the movies and it shows and they're all you can tell they're all like friends and they all kind of like doing it and uh I, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of cool to see like a group of independent ghost hunters doing something like this every year. I think it's fun.
0: Yeah, seriously. And uh, I'm I'm definitely going to go and try to see the one that comes out next year. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I was really bummed I couldn't go to this, honestly, after finding these on Amazon Prime. And then I tried to find the poster for A Haunting in Saginaw, Michigan to ask if people had watched it. And it showed like the Temple Theater November sixth. I was like, oh, I wonder if they're doing one this year. And then I went to the website and saw that they were. So next year, I'm gonna do my best to be there. Hopefully, they get this one before Halloween.
1: Yeah. Hopefully, they can they can push it up a little bit instead of the first weekend of uh, November.
0: Awesome. So that was another episode of George on the Street. So before we move on to segment four, the Joe Lynch interview, uh, I want to tell my story about the John Carpenter concert, which I forgot to talk about. Yeah. Let us know. Uh, what was that like? If you didn't know, my girlfriend for our three year anniversary. Uh, she got me meet and greet tickets to see John Carpenter on Halloween night at the Palladium here in Hollywood. And he's been doing, he's done three albums now. And the first two were like original songs that were called Lost Themes. But this new one was reworked uh, versions of his movie themes. It's called Anthology. So this was like, this was the tour to see if you're a fan of John Carpenter, which George and I both are. Uh, so... I've never done a meet-and-greet concert before, but this was really cool. So the concert started at 8, but they told us to come at 5.15, so we all lined up, and then we went in, and then we, the tickets came with, it said, mystery VIP items, which I thought would be shitty, obviously, because why would they be good? But it was a tote bag that had the like logo for Anthology on it, which is kind of sweet. And then it also came with an exclusive T-shirt with the Thing logo on it. It's a tour T-shirt. But, uh, cause the way they did the merch for this tour is you could buy a shirt with a, one of the movie logos on it, but on the back it said like John Carpenter's Anthology. That's actually So we really got an cool. exclusive one that you can't get, uh, in the merch booth. So that was really cool. And then it also came with this signed poster that's 11 by 17 and it's not like a printed signed one. He like signed them all and it's got Michael Myers in the ghost sheet when he's wearing the guy's glasses. Oh, that's awesome. And it just says Halloween. It's so cool and then we lined up and then it was it was really quick getting to meet him but you just walk in you shake his hand then they take your picture but he was like the nicest guy i was like i'm a huge fan it's really good to meet you and then my girlfriend was like uh was like hey thanks thanks for thanks for meeting us he was like he was like thanks for meeting me thanks for giving me your money (laughs) and it was it was an eye-opening experience to meet him because We've we talked about these news stories before where he says stuff like, yeah, they can remake my movies They just as long as they're paying me. And it sounds kind of like snarky and jaded when you read it, but then when you meet him and hear the way he talks, he's just like a goofy guy. Right. And you can tell that he's just joking. So that was really cool. And so then we got to take our stuff back to our car and come back and we got to get in a special line where we got to go in before anyone else. So we went right up to the front and um, so he has a full band it's he's he's on the like he's not lead synth because he's you know he's like 68 years old right he's on the like backup synth but his son is the lead synth guy so that's really cool and then he has a drummer a rhythm guitarist and a lead guitarist and he played stuff from every movie which was awesome like all of his big ones and some of his more obscure ones like village of the damned which i know a lot of people don't like that movie but i really think it's cool uh and he had a screen behind him where they would show clips of these movies and he's just like a goofy guy. He's really funny. He was dancing to all his music. He was throwing up the devil horns every five minutes.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like really, it was really cool to be up front. No one was really moshing. And the the one thing though that it just kind of sucked was that there are four people that somehow managed. Like one person came up and they were like, "Hey, can I scoot in next to you?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not? Because I'm not a dick." And then they turn, they scoot next to me, turn around, and call five more people, <laughs> which. I turned around, and they were like, what, is this spot taken? And I was like, well, yeah, one person has to cut in here, and there's there's five of you. So, like, don't be an asshole, basically. It's like yeah. what well, I'm getting at. And they were like, okay, yeah, whatever, dude. And then, of course, the entire time, they have their phones out, and they're filming the whole concert. Which is just, it's not necessarily a pet peeve. It's just, I don't get it. If you, Five people are going to go to a concert to film it just send one person to film it and then watch it on your phone because they were watching the concert through their phone you know you're not watching the concert right. it's just it's fucking stupid and he kept looking at them from the stage because he didn't have like lights on him so you could see them and he was giving them the stink eye but they were all it was five of the fucking stupidest idiots on planet <laughs> earth i guess because they didn't they didn't figure it out but other than that it was really cool um He's, he's pretty funny. He's good at playing, you know, the simpler stuff. And his lead guitarist was fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a cool tour. I definitely want to check them out. Uh, I know it's coming to Michigan, like, relatively soon. And it's pretty cheap, so I'm going to try to go to that when it comes to town around around my area.
0: Dude, yeah, it's 20 bucks. Like, you can't beat it for... Right it's john carpenter it's awesome and the merch The i don't ever say this about concerts because i merch is usually shitty if you want some cool john carpenter shirts like go to this bring like 150 bucks because <laughs> each shirt is 30 bucks i got three shirts and a set of pins like it's all so cool the, the merch is not tacky at all it's all really sweet like my favorite thing i got was it's a t-shirt with the Statue of Liberty on it but then the Statue of Liberty is wearing Snake Plissken's eye
1: patch. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I was like this is just too cool not to get. And they had they had just a ton of cool stuff. So, if uh he's he, this was the beginning of the tour, so he'll probably come through a lot of towns in the US and uh you know, it's 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 going to be a rare thing to see him play actual movie themes instead of original music. So, I would suggest checking that out. So, with that, we're coming to the end of the show here. Uh, we're we're gonna close it out but remember to stick around for the interview with Joe Lynch. He was amazing I think this is a really cool interview he tells us some stuff that he hasn't I don't think said before to other people about mayhem which he loves to talk about it and thankfully he said he'd come on the show in the future so if you if you want to see that make sure to tweet at the show. At Fear Frequency, or at George Frizzard, or at Jimmy Champagne, make sure you mention Joe Lynch. He's at the Joe Lynch, and let him know that you want him to come on the show because we'd love to have him on. He's a great dude, and Mayhem's a great movie, so uh, you should stick around for that. It's about 20 minutes long. It's it's a great interview. You listened to it, right, George?
1: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. A lot of cool insight into you know this this movie, which again it is out now. People should go watch it. Get it on VOD, and i mean he's you know he's known for more than just this movie so he's kind of kind of big and i think a lot of people are going to be interested in what he has to say
0: yep he's he's a great dude so before i close this out make sure you go over to itunes i'm gonna harp on this again and rate us it doesn't even have to like we're not going to tell you rate us five stars but if you like the show it helps out if you go rate the show you don't even have to review it and if you're really feeling nice you could review it and uh share it with everyone you know we really want to turn this into a big thing because we think we have something pretty cool here Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Champagne, and you can follow the show at Fear Frequency. Where can we find you, George?
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at George Frazard and on Instagram at Georgia4.
0: Radical. So that is episode six of Fear Frequency. Remember, next week we will be right on time on Tuesday. It was just a really busy week. But as always, you never know who might be listening. So yeah, thanks for taking the time to uh, do this interview for me.
2: Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me.
0: Totally. So we were both super stoked on the movie. It was my favorite movie of the year. and My co-host really liked it a lot. Um, I think our favorite thing was that you got Steven Yeun and Samara Weaving to be in it. Can you? Oh, me too.
2: <laughs> yeah. Can
0: you like talk about how that came about? Because they're both pretty big actors right now. People, a lot of people like them.
2: Well, um, my sexual favors are the best sexual favors that possibly could have. No, that's not, I should not be joking about that at all. I should, I'm probably triggering people left and right right now. Like, Oh no, he can't say that. No, to be totally honest. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I think it comes down to the material itself. Um, if they, if they were stupid enough to look at my, or smart enough actually to look at my past films, they probably would have passed immediately. Uh, but, but frankly, the the serendipity of how I got them was really just down to that script that Matthias wrote was something that hit me so hard um, when I read it that I was hoping that I would have actors who would kind of get what I was going for, that we were, you know, kind of all on the same page. And weirdly enough on an odd kind of circumstance of events, I was, I was already um, kind of developing and, and, uh, and prepping this movie, so to speak before we had a green light, before we had actors, or whatever, and then we got the, the fateful call that every filmmaker wants and also dreads a little because, it's like, we got the money, and then it was not all the money, but we got some money. Um, and because the the budget that we were at was uh, not a lot higher, but it was higher where you need to be financially responsible with who you cast because there has to be a return. So a lot of times, in the cases of these movies, you got to make sure that you have actors that are going to be profitable, you know, or at least attractive to. The foreign markets, the international markets, the, you know, the, uh, like a wide swath that they're hitting all the demographics and stuff. And there's a very small amount of actors that actually do that. So when we were given the kind of soft green light, you know, it was for a much lesser budget, but at the same time, the investor was so cool where they said like, it's not cast contingent. So we could open up the net, widen the net a little bit. And and instead of like hiring the people that we know are going to give us a safe return, it was who's the best person for the job or who's the best actors for the job. And that was a Friday. On Sunday, that next Sunday, I watched the episode of The Walking Dead where Steven's character Glenn fake died. Uh-huh. And now I had been a fan of that show from, from episode one. I was, a, I was a huge fan of the comic. Uh, like I was obsessed with everything that Kirkman was doing and I loved what Frank Darabont brought to the table with that. And I had followed Steven's performances, Glenn from episode one all the way up until the end. And at that point, you know, he, obviously I knew from the comics where things were going. It was just a matter of time when, Right. but that, that went through me for a loop because I didn't see it coming. Cause I didn't see a, you know, big bat with, uh, you know, with, with, um, <laughs> barbed wire behind it, like in that situation. So I was like, what, you know, and I was heartbroken and not, and it wasn't just me. It was, it seemed like the whole world was heartbroken over that. And, that really blew me away. That there's this actor, you know, this this actor that is universally loved, and any time that he kind of comes to the table with a performance, people just inherently love him. And there's not many actors like that these days who exude both, you know, charm and resonance and likability, but who can also kick ass, but not seem like they're just a superhero or an action star in training. So that was where I like kind of had that Barton Fink feeling moment in my gut, where I went like. <laughs> oh my god, what if it was Steven? What if Steven was my everyman? And luckily, because Circle of Confusion, who's produce, who produced this, also produces The Walking Dead, so I went in and said that name, and, and they didn't bat an eyelash. They went like, that's a really intriguing idea, and because we don't have to worry about like casting you know, for a certain demographic or a certain you know, uh, price point, we could take a chance with that. And it just felt right. Like, I just had it in my gut. And then when we sent it to Steven and he really responded to it, it was just kind of like, all right, all, all bets are off at this point. Let's, let's run. And Samara, Samara was cast about four weeks before we shot. And that was mainly just because of the time and the speed that we just kind of jumped into the world of, of prepping. Um, you know, I, I was already in Belgrade, Serbia, like, kind of prepping while Steven was working on something else. I think he was working on Okeja at the time. Um, But, you know, we had a little bit of time before and Samara's name came up and I remembered her from Ash vs. Evil Dead and how much I loved her in that. And, you know, I I was up for the babysitter for like one hot minute. So I knew that script really well. And when they told me that she was the one who was playing the babysitter, I was like, oh, my God, whoever that actor is who's doing that part, she's got to be fearless and she's got to have like crazy charm and energy to kind of flip the switch on the audience. So we ended up doing the the it wasn't even an audition it was more of like just a kind of meeting over Skype and within 5 minutes i just knew i was like oh yeah we're going to definitely be good friends you know during this process and you know the big fear that you always have with with a movie that's considered like a two-hander where you have like okay these two are kind of be kind of my heroes throughout the whole film you pray that they get along and if if you're really lucky they really like each other and that there's chemistry and within five minutes of them meeting at, at like a dinner a couple days before we shot where we kind of brought them in, you just knew. You just you had that feeling, the same feeling I had, that Barton Fink feeling that I had when I first thought about Steve, when I thought, first thought about Samara separately. It's like you just knew. Like And then it's their charm and their chemistry that really does carry the movie.
0: Yeah, totally, and I think there's that one scene where they talk about their music taste. I think one of the big reasons that worked for me was because they have so much chemistry, and I remember you said at Beyond Fest that that scene, you kind of, like, improvised it, I think? Yeah. Or Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I, I know a lot of people that seen the movie love that scene.
2: Uh, it was something that was on the page. It said, they wait. That was it. It just, like, it was, we're going to show where they were, and that they were, you know, kind of uh, nail guns ready, uh, waiting for the siren to come out. And then we were going to cut away, and we were going to cut back to the siren talking about like how she can't get out and shit. And then we're going to cut back to them, and they say, "Oh, we only have a certain amount of time. We got to get going." And then they then they're going into the accountant fight. There's, so, they've just felt like there was something missing, and because we were about halfway through the shoot at that point. It was a love fest. I mean, it was as hard as it was to make that movie. And it was as expedient as we were and how sick everybody was, you know, just, you know, being, having colds and flus and everything. We were all just like, at the midway point, we were just like, Ugh, uh, you know, like we were, we were hurting. <laughs> but thankfully, because everyone got along so well, we had a little bit of time the night before we shot that scene, which was going to be first up, say on that Friday. On Thursday night, like... My DP Steve Gaynor, was smart enough to go. You know what would really kind of help us hit the ground running tomorrow to make our day is if we go upstairs now, just you and me and my grip department, and let's block out that scene so that we set the lights up now, so we don't have to wait for the actors in the morning, or they don't have to wait for us. We can just kind of be ready to shoot. And I thought, of course, any any chance that I can get to like shave off some time that can buy me some time later, I'm all fucking for it. And it just so happened that the van that was transponing them back to the, their hotel wasn't there in time. So they were like, well, we got some time to kill. We'll just go upstairs instead of you using stand-ins. We'll do it. I mean, all we have to do is just stand there. So who gives a shit? We'll just hang out some more. So we all go upstairs, and I just throw out i throw out to both of them, with top three bands, go. Top three bands, go. And I quickly realized that they were not talking as them. They were talking as their characters and their responses. <laughs> And I, 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 like, as a director, you just go, "Mm, catnip, mm, (laughs) like, that's the sort of shit you you want, you know, that you're praying for, that they would do that. So I quickly ran home and I wrote out that scene, kind of what I heard, you know, like, I I kind of threw things in left and right here. But uh, the the crux of it, the, the, the general gist of what we discussed is everything that came out of that originally conversation so you could technically say that it was improv so I came back the next day with three and a half pages of, of dialogue and in most cases most actors go uh or I can't <laughs> do this and they run back to their trailer thankfully I had two actors who were so attuned to getting that happen having that happen to them because of TV because on TV things change at the drop of a hat like you know the day before an hour before the minute before they're changing stuff and and they were trained to be able to roll with the punches. So Steven and Samara both looked at the pages and went like, we got this, especially since they're reading dialogue that they said the night before. So that whole scene was birthed on set. And, and I agree, like it's my favorite scene in the movie because it's like in the middle of all this shit. And it, this this happens to me on every movie. Like anytime there's a moment where, you know, you have a big action scene or a big anticipatory scene you always wish and pray that like, are we going to see a human moment here? Like the one that really inspired that moment is the moment in diehard where the one terrorist is like waiting for everyone to start shooting in the lobby. And he looks down and there's a Hershey bar and he starts eating that Hershey bar. It's like, what a human moment I love in it. a, in, in a, in, in what's otherwise a very like by the numbers scene that you're like, okay, we're watching all the bad guys get ready to take, take all the SWAT team out. And yet, Next time you see him, he's, he's halfway done with the Hershey bar. It's like, that, that to me made those guys so human that and, and was part of the thing that I think McTiernan was going for was to humanize these guys and not just make them mindless killers or mindless thugs. And I wanted to do the same thing here and I think that's a turning point for the movie because it makes you realize like, okay, these people are normal people too. They, they have the same likes, they have the same dislikes. They, they quote risky business. They say they love Dave Matthews band. Like you don't get that moment very often, both in movies, but in, in tropes like these. So I wanted to take advantage of it. And it was also a scene that I go, if it doesn't work, I can cut it. No one would remember it. No one would be, you know, worried about it. Otherwise it doesn't, it does not forward the plot at all, at least at first. And then when we started, when we put it in and we loved it so much, and then my jo- my editor Josh decided he thought it would be funny one day and throw in Dave Matthews Band later on, thinking like, well, we'd never get this, but it'll, it'll make Joe laugh. And then it did make me laugh. And I went, fuck, dude, I kind of have to put that in the movie now. It's so good. And then, you know, I told that to my producers and they're like, we're never going to get a Dave Matthews Band song. What are you, crazy? And then we screened it twice. And both times the crowd applauded. Because they felt like they were in it as invested in the characters as they should be. Like we we care about these guys, even when it comes down to you know what what song do you listen to after you have sex, you know, or what song do you listen to when you know like when, when you're when you're having a quiet moment, you know, and you just so happen to have ants marching on your Spotify. Boop! Here we go. Let me set the scene. It just it made it made everything feel so real for me and for them. So it's it's really one of the most gratifying things out of the whole mayhem experiences that that scene would have never happened if I didn't have this perfect storm of a van being late, a crew that was cool enough to let you know to let us do this thing to kind of help us make our day, and two actors who were just so game and so on it and so knowing of their characters that they were we were able to generate this thing like we incubated it and executed it. All from the the kind of love and passion that that came with making this movie.
0: Awesome, yeah, that's that's just such a cool little story. I I had to bring it up because I loved hearing about it so much after that
2: screening. I love talking about it. Believe me, I'm I'm really proud of that moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would too. And then something else I really like. My whole big thing with why I like this movie is because every piece of it just clicks together in a really good way. Like. It all feels fluid, and I really like the soundtrack a lot. Is there a story behind choosing like Steve Moore to do that soundtrack, or like using yeah, synth totally music and
2: stuff? Uh, well, I always knew that I wanted to make make this score be synthy like without being derivative of like the the current trend. You know, like ever since. You know, The Guest and uh, and It Follows was using synth. <coughs> it seemed like, you know, all of a sudden everybody was using it, but not using it in a way that felt like organic to the movie itself. It felt more like, I just want to make an homage to the 80s. You know, <laughs> there are certain movies that that it works well with, like, you know, Joe Begas' The Mind's Eye and Almost Human. Like, he was deliberately trying to make a movie that felt like it was made in 1983. So that that made sense. But a lot of times it wasn't. And I was, you know, also apprehensive of doing that because I didn't want that to happen. So, Bear McCreary, who'd done all my other scores, he was go- going in a more synthy route, like on certain projects like The Walking Dead, where I was loving what he was doing that made me feel more like John Carpenter and Goblin. I love that stuff. Totally. Um, so, that, and also just the idea of being in this, like, corporate world where the, you know, the, the space, if you, if everyone shut the fuck up, all you would hear is bleeps and bloops and synthetic sounds and you know, machines whirring and it, it felt like this atmosphere almost calls for it being a little more artificial and not be you know, real strings and not be vocals and, you know, and let, let let the kind of let the machine take over in a way. So, But the problem was was that when we finished our cut, when we went to Bear, and Bear was bummed he couldn't do it because he had five other movies that he was doing at the time, and, they ha- all, and all of them had to be done by the Toronto Film Festival. Damn. So I was like, fuck, dude, what are we going to do? And then within an hour, Josh Ethier, who edited the movie, who also worked on Joe Bigas's films, who also employed Steve Moore. Now, I am a huge fan of his band zombie and have been for you know up to that point almost 15 years so i was it was always in the back of my head like i love steve moore and i love the stuff that he did on the cub score and the the guest score but it never really i just never thought of it and josh is like dude why don't we just call steve moore up i can get him on the phone now and within the hour so i went from losing my composer to gaining a new composer in 60 minutes because we got on the phone with Steve and Steve's like, oh, dude, I love your stuff. Like, I would love to do this. Like, I, I'm, I'm in New York, you know, so I'm like, no problem. So we did the entire score over Skype and email over the course of like two weekends. And it was Damn. one of the most gratifying work relationships I had ever had. It, like, I loved it. I loved working with Steve. So Steve is Steve a major component in the movie because he really brought the movie to life in a way that I never even thought it would. And like one of the most rewarding things out of this whole experience is I like I now have a soundtrack that Steve Moore did and it's on vinyl of all things. You oh know, like God, the soundtrack so comes cool. out uh, November 24th. And what's even cooler is that the vinyl, is like it's limited edition, but there's a version of the vinyl that is one bloody red eye, just like in the movie. So it's like, like that, that's, that's awesome. So, you know, whether it's the Steve Moore score or all the other music that we have in the film from, you know, the, the old school Rossini uh, classical track to Faith No More to Dave Matthews band and all that, like the fact that I'm able to have all of this in the tapestry of the movie. I mean, it's very, very much reflective of my tastes, but it just felt right, you know, and, and we kind of went with our gut with every decision, even down to the music. And it just felt like it was the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, it it's just it's so good. It it all came together in like a really cool way. And then I got one more question. So like sure. this is this is a corporate movie. I used to work, you know, in corporate and it it's really easy to pin certain people to people in the movie and you can like imagine that it's someone from like one of your old jobs. Is there someone or any characters in this movie that you were like this person has to be like this because they reminded you of someone in one of your old jobs or something?
2: Every one of the Archetypal characters: the boss, the siren, the bull, the the reaper. Every one of them I've worked with before in one okay. capacity or another. I also worked a corporate gig. If you were at Beyond Fest, you heard me do my spiel <laughs> about how, like, look, you know, movies are not sustainable enough these days for anybody to just kind of make a movie and then you're living off of the residuals and the fat paycheck that you got to begin with. It's like, no, they're, they're, those those days are gone. So you really have to want to make movies because it's, it's become, sadly, it's become more of a passion project or a hobby, if you will, than it is the thing that kind of brings home the bacon. So I had to, you know, succumb to working a corporate gig because I had to. I had to pay the bills. And this one job came along and I couldn't really say no. So I did it and I it was not gratifying and it was very soulless at times. And, the you know, the, the, the amount of times that I heard let's discuss is enough Ugh. for me to have hives every time I hear it. And just the idea of the passive-aggressive nature of what that corporate office kind of instills, the petri dish of of passive aggression that that a lot of times is the corporate world, was just something that I just had to comment on. And so everyone that that is in the movie, like, I'll never say their names, but, like, (laughs) yeah. I I worked with John Towers, and I worked with an Irene Smythe before, and I definitely worked with uh, an HR person that was like that, and I definitely worked with an executive who was like the siren, And, but what was great was that like, I was able to kind of relay the information to the actors, but at the same time, like, as much as we make them into caricatures in a way by giving them those, you know, Tarantino esque titles and stuff like that. And, you know, and, and make them more as bigger than life was that it was felt like it was, they were broad enough that everybody could see a boss in them and everybody could see an employee type in them so that they can relate. To the you know to what it feels like to be Derek in that situation where you know you've been killing yourself climbing up the corporate ladder and how you can be shot down within two hours of you being at work and that's and that's just commonplace for them. that's just that's like what the Reaper says when the shit is hitting the fan he just kind of sighs and goes, oh Wednesday like that that's <laughs> these guys are used to that you know so yeah like there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of personal truth in a lot of those characters.
0: God damn, man! I I don't know. I could just talk about this movie all day, but uh, I'll let you get back to your your uh, work here. But. I really want to thank you for doing this. It's a big thing for us. This is a big oh, Jimmy, movie thank, that we thank love. Oh, thank you
2: so much. Well, please, get the word out. Um, you oh, know, I'm doing everything I can. I November think we brought 10th. it up every week. Oh, thank you. Like, But you know, word of mouth is really the the best course of action here. And the okay. more people, I think, hear about it, the better. And, uh, and, yeah, like, and look, you know, down the line, please, I would love to be a guest again if that's cool.
0: Oh, yeah, man. I'm in L.A., so whenever you want to come on the show, you're
2: always welcome.
0: Sweet. Awesome.
2: (laughs) All right, Jimmy, thank you so much again, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, goodbye. All right, bye-bye.